0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: And you're tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris and I'm joining the studio now with Tracy. How are you?
2: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm okay. Um, Thanks to Encyclodalia for the previous hour. I'd just like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We're broadcasting over the lands of the Kulin Nations. Their sovereignty has never been ceded. Genocide is ongoing, and so is colonialism. Um, I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present, and future. And I'd like to acknowledge any Indigenous listeners tuning in today. Um, And on that, I was at... uh, a rally for the 38 nations on Friday um, that was hosted by Lydia Thorpe and had a lot of people talking about their disenchantment with the Victorian government's treaty process and it's not really recognising the structures of Indigenous peoples in what is known as Victoria. So that's an ongoing um, problem, ongoing issue that people are fighting over, fighting and organising against the government on. Um, today for you we have first up an interview with, um, Alice from Undercurrent Victoria and we'll also talk about the uh, radical library as well, Undercurrent's uh, a community focused organisation that, um, aims to foster healthy relationships. That'll be in the first bit of the show. and Tracy, also, h- h- what's happening later in the show.
2: So we will be having Nick Hollis on air as well. And um, Nick Hollis will be telling us more about HIV positive and um, LGBTI community.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, so stay tuned to Query on 3CR Community Radio. And that was Tracy Chapman with Fast Car. I'm just going to wind that one down. Um, you're tuned into Queering Out on 3CR Community Radio. And I'm also with Tracy. Hello. How are you going, Tracy? Hey. Um So, now we have on the line Alice from Undercurrent and also IRL Library. Can you um, hear us?
3: Hello, yeah.
2: Yeah, I can hear you too.
1: Um... Just one moment, I just need to switch my headphones over because they're not working at the moment. But before then, um, could you just talk a little bit about how how Undercurrent, uh, what sort of stuff Undercurrent does?
3: Sure. So Undercurrent is a totally volunteer-run and led violence prevention and transformative justice education project that works generally in NAM in Melbourne, but we also travel across different parts of Australia. Um, we We facilitate workshops about respectful relationships, sex, consent, sexuality, power, gender, and other related topics in high schools, universities, tastes, and community organizations. And we also do professional development for other organizations that want kind of an insight into our framework or a further understanding of gendered violence and sexual assault. Um, We're funded primarily by donations, so we don't get any grants from the government. Um, We basically rely a lot on donations from people out there, um, which is why we're hosting a fundraiser this coming Saturday, so Saturday the 3rd of November we have a fundraiser, a Halloween fundraiser at the Moreland City Band Hall, which is in Cross Street, Brunswick.
1: Yeah, excellent. That's, so that's next Sunday, I mean, next Saturday. Um, next Saturday, the, next the Saturday, 3rd of November. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Undercurrent is also like quite active in challenging violence outside of a heteronormative uh, framework. And there isn't as much research outside of that framework. But from what we know, intimate partner violence is as common in... Queer, queer relationships as it is in straight relationships. I wonder if you could speak a little bit more to that.
3: Yeah, so there's been a lot of research into gendered violence, intimate partner violence, domestic violence, family violence, as we understand it, between men and women. And so a lot of the frameworks that are used, for example, by governments or by organisations that are working to challenge this gendered violence tend to use a framework that looks at patriarchy as the like main driver of violence and then when we look at the as you said the rates of violence in queer relationships many different studies say lots of different things but it generally says that it occurs in about the same proportions in queer relationships as it does in relationships where there are is one man and one woman So given this, using this patriarchal framework that says men beat women is not really helpful and doesn't really help us to understand why this violence is happening within relationships that don't fit into this heteronormative framework and as well isn't really helpful in when we're trying to support survivors through their experiences.
1: No, no, it isn't at all. Um, Yeah, and also undercurrent has a sort of a transformative justice and prison abolition um sort of underpinning as well um could you tell listeners how that's that that um underpinning um changes how you approach your work compared to other organizations
3: sure so yeah prison abolition is and transformative justice are two of the key uh parts of the framework that undercurrent uses in understanding violence and I think it's really important, or Undercurrent thinks it's really important when we're talking about these different kinds of violence that we're not relying on a carceral approach, So we're not relying on the state or the prison system to solve these forms of violence, which is why we use transformative justice, which is basically the idea that instead of punishing people or acts that they've committed, which a lot of the time isn't going to end in behaviour change at all, and is probably going to end up in people getting re-traumatised by their experience with the prison industrial complex. Transformative justice focuses on challenging the conditions that allowed that violence to occur in the first place, which means challenging those conditions at a really wide level, so at a broader societal level talking about the different beliefs and myths that we have as a society that really normalise violence or blame victims or make it much harder for survivors to be supported. Um, And that's why transformative justice is really integral to what we do because we're trying to really change those conditions. And that's why a lot of the work that we do is with young people in this primary prevention space because it's one of the ways that we can really challenge these beliefs with people of the next generation, which is really exciting and really, really rewarding.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so important. Um, and you also, yeah, you're touching on there, something I wanted to ask you next. Um, a lot of the things undercurrent current and workshops is around social change, is a collective process, and there's a lot of community myths around interpersonal violence and blaming of survivors that normalises Oppressive social dynamics that discard mm-hmm. survivors. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak some more to those sort of community myth- myths and how challenging, challenging, challenging them is something that like, yeah, involves changing how communities see um, things.
3: Definitely. I think a lot of people, when we talk about these myths, people will intellectually be like oh yeah like but we're challenging this in society know, you know we have the me too movement there are all these movements where survivors are coming forward but if you just take a look at the media for example and the way that the media is reporting on people's experiences of violence and especially women's experiences of sexual violence or conversely the way that the media isn't reporting on other forms of violence so the fact that I think it's 11 women have been murdered so far in October, which is much higher than the national average rate, and those kinds of things aren't being talked about in the media. Whereas when, you know, one woman gets murdered, who we can all relate to, that gets a massive outcry. It kind of questions who we see as a survivor and who we'll allow to be a survivor and who we can publicly grieve for. And I think that's something that we really need to challenge because of the way that violence is really common in our society. And we see it everywhere. We see it in films with the normalisation of rape culture, for example, or the normalisation of transphobia and transmisogyny or the normalisation of racism in our government. Like we have all of these different ways that power is playing out and really harming people. And these are the things that we really need, we really try to and need to challenge. And through Undercurrent, we try and do this, like both in the high schools and in all of the other workshops that we do.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so important. And yeah, one of the things you yeah, talked about in terms of um, like the, the outrageous amount of women that are murdered um, that isn't spoken about as much in the media, like certain cases are raised if they conform to, um, if they conform to like a white cis mm-hmm. woman that, that's respectable enough and not a sex worker and all these other things. Exactly. Um, yeah, and another the thing I was thinking about then is, like, the thing with statistics is like who doesn't get yeah like you talked on about who doesn't get spoken about, and it's totally. and it's like a lot of. People aren't categorised as women, and who are gender non-conforming or a trans woman who aren't even recognised as women. They don't get spoken about much in these sort of frameworks. Definitely, um, and
3: one thing that we find, or that I find really interesting, is that a lot of the research that we use to base our frameworks on, or that we are looking at to see what the research is that's in, you know, the current academic space, will kind of categorise. The kind of intimate partner of violence and sexual violence in two categories. So it's either violence against women or it's LGBTIQ violence. So then the question is, like, what about the women who are like lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, trans, like, oh, intersex? Like, what about these women? Where do they fit when we're looking at these statistics? And, like, there are many other shortcomings in the different ways that statistics are taken. Like, the fact that a lot of our statistics actually come from the police and the police, like... There are lots of different ways that the police can really harm people in the way that they go about doing their jobs in terms of answering or responding to cases of violence in the home or sexual violence that can, for example... Name the wrong person as the primary aggressor.
1: Yeah, yeah, and
3: and so then people are just categorised wrongly.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and so often, yeah, whose voices gets heard and who is silenced in terms of there's there's another report out on police violence other week, but the only people that get violence, I mean, get support around police violence are other police, so like it the, the police violence report didn't talk about the violence that police regularly inflict on so many different communities because of mm-hmm. state racism, misogyny, homophobia, transmisogyny, ableism, all these things. Exactly. It was only people to get... And it's a struggle for, like... Anyway, I'm not going to talk about cops, but it's a struggle for the people in the police and all the intra-police sort of um, abuse as well. Um, so I guess we could talk about this for a while, but we don't have... And I'd love to talk to you more <laughs> another, time. Um, another time. Another time. Another um, time. So, what about if listeners want to uh, follow Undercurrent or get involved? How can they? Definitely.
3: Do that? Well, so Undercurrent has a website which is www.undercurrentvic. So U N D E R C U R R E N T V I C. com. Um, And all of our information is there. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And on Facebook, it's Undercurrent Victoria. And our Instagram handle is Undercurrent Vic as well.
1: Awesome. Um, I thought we'd just also briefly touch on the Incendium Radical Library. And I spoke to some people involved in that um, some time ago. And since then, it's moved to uh, West Footscray and the Incendium Radical Library is a separate project, but also does house Undercurrent. Um, I'm wondering how that's gone since the launch in a new location.
3: Yeah, it's going great. So it's called IRL Info Shop is the name of the space. And that's at 28D Ashley Street in Westwood's Grey, right next to Tottenham train station. Um, We've been having some really amazing events there. We had uh, a really interesting queer art exhibition up for a couple of weeks in October and we've had some really great workshops they put on and talk. Um, it's really exciting actually and it would be really nice to see some more people coming down into the space. We're open on Fridays from 10 till 6 and on Saturdays from 11 till 5 and you can book the space outside of that if you head to our website which is www.irlinfoshop.com. And we're also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you just look up IRL Info Shop.
1: Yeah, awesome. Um, are there anything any events on the calendar um, coming up that you know We've about? We've
3: got. We have a lot of events coming up for um, the rest of October. Let me just check the calendar. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, so we've got
3: a play group that happens every two weeks, which is on the, thir- the second and third Wednesday of every month that goes for two hours. And that's for people that want to come with their children, so ages um, five and below. And that's an open space where people can just come, parents can come hang out, and their kids can play together, which yeah. is a really exciting thing, and it's been going really, really well. And we'd love to get some more people with their children to come down.
1: Awesome. Um, we've run out of time. It was great to talk to you, talk to you another time, and we can talk about these things in more detail. Thank you, yes. Alice. Thank and, you so much. Um, you're tuned in que- into Queering Nia on 3CR Community Radio. Um, next, we're going to be speaking to Nick Hollis. As they ar- stick around... I'm Iris and I'm in the studio with Tracy.
2: Welcome back to 3CR Radio. And I have Nick Hollis online. So, hello, Nick.
0: Hi, how are you, Tracy?
2: Good. Good to hear from you.
0: You too. I'm so excited to chat with you.
2: (laughs) I've looked forward to this. So, I'm on (laughs) air with Iris. Yeah, hi, Nick. Hi, Iris. And we are so excited to speak to you. So I'll give a, a brief um, bio about Nick. Nick is um, a campaign organizer, director, sorry, of uh, Change.com. And Nick is a co-founder of the Institute of Many. Tim, is that correct, Nick?
0: That's right. Yeah, Tim.
2: Okay. Um, so do you mind telling us more about um, Change.com?
0: org? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Change.org. Um. Uh. I've only just been uh in the role of uh as campaigns director for Change.org, for a few weeks now. Uh. But I am having the most incredible time so far. Uh. Change.org is the world's largest uh, petition platform. Um. So uh, it's an open platform where absolutely anybody uh can jump online. And create a petition to help uh, bring about change on an issue that uh, affects them, or that they they feel deeply about, and they care deeply about. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's, it's an extraordinary uh, opportunity for people to engage uh, in democracy and um, uh, you know and help change their their little or big corner of the world.
2: Mm. Okay, that sounds interesting. So. Yeah. What about um, TIM, the institute that you founded?
0: Uh, well, Tim is, uh, TIM is something that I'm so proud of and so honored uh, that I get to do the work that I do with TIM. Um, so uh, the Institute of Many, or TIM, uh, well, we're the largest uh, grassroots movement for people living with HIV in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been around for uh, nearly six years now which oh, is nice. wild to me because um, yeah. I, I still feel like you know we're, we're, we're making it up as we go along but I look back um, over the last few years and there's been a, such a massive shift uh, in the way that um, Australians talk about HIV the way that we that the people living with HIV, mm. which I'm one, feel about ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, that's certainly not uh, all thanks to Tim. We would never dare take credit for anything like that. But I'm, I'm really proud of the, the part we've played um, uh, in helping change the conversation around HIV in Australia in recent years. But yeah. that's, that's really been because there's been so m- m- many new things for us to talk about. Um, uh, in terms of living with HIV, with HIV prevention, with HIV science and cure, about research and Mm. vaccines. So, yeah, and and of course, uh, working hard to help eliminate HIV stigma, which is at the heart of so many of the reasons why people still continue to um, contract HIV today.
2: Yeah. I'm also a very direct um, advocate for HIV living, so Amazing! Um, I
0: know we've chatted about that before, and, and I think uh, when I saw you speak at um, uh, a panel, uh, was it earlier this year or was it even last yeah, year? Yeah, oh, my
2: goodness, it must have been this yeah. year.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, you spoke very passionately about it. So and you um, have some experience um, uh, through your family and other communities. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So I believe that you're an advocate um, of. Um, HIV so what I really want to know um what drove you, Nick, to start this you know path you know professionally you know
0: sure uh well i as I said, you know I am a person living with HIV um, I was diagnosed uh, with HIV back in late very late two thousand and twelve actually it was i think it was six years ago this week okay. um and a few weeks after my diagnosis, I was living in Sydney at the time, and I uh, went along to a weekend workshop for newly diagnosed people living with HIV. Well, actually, it was a workshop for newly diagnosed gay men living with HIV. Um, one thing we have in this country is lots of support for gay men living with HIV, yeah. but we haven't yet, um, I think, uh, created enough support structures for those people who aren't gay and bisexual men living with HIV. But um, we can talk about that in a second. But um, uh, uh, I was at this weekend workshop uh, and I had been uh, diagnosed for a few weeks um, and I met a gentleman from South Carolina who was Mm -hmm. living in Sydney at the time by the name of Jeff Lang Mm -hmm. and he and I were also, uh, we were both diagnosed uh, only a few weeks prior and we both came to this weekend workshop and we really uh we felt we were pretty okay with our diagnosis i mean Mm. it certainly shocked us both but we felt uh that we understood all the scientific advances and and changes that 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 had happened in the hiv world and so we we knew that we were incredibly privileged to be living in australia with universal health care, which meant that we could go on treatment, um, get an undetectable viral load and um, live long, healthy lives. Mm. But um, when we were there in that room, there was probably about, uh, I guess, 14 or so of us at that workshop. And many of the men in that room, uh, it had taken them, you know, two years to even uh, build up the resilience and, and courage to walk into the building for the weekend workshop. And in that time, many of them had stopped... Uh, dating people, they no one had had sex. They had, um, they had not disclosed their HIV status to their family or friends, and they uh, their HIV diagnosis had caused them to cut themselves off from from part of their life and, mm. and um, part of the world. And Jeff and I realised that if we were feeling pretty okay with our HIV status, but there were people, you know, immediately beside us who weren't, that mm. meant that there were thousands or more people out there who. True felt the way they did so um so we started this uh grassroots platform for people living with hiv to so that we could all find each other and provide peer support to one another um, which we do yeah
2: wow thank you it's beautiful
1: Mm, um yeah just following back nick on your comment on um support being primarily focused on on gay men often um this yep. hasn't been a great year for ending, like, state criminalization of HIV transmission because mm-hmm. we've seen, um, uh, like, I've talked talked talk about this on the show with, um, Jules Kim of Skyline Alliance earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, we've seen CJ Palmer imprisoned for six years in WA in yep. pretty horrific conditions of amplified violence where she's been denied hormones, and placed in a prison not of her gender because she's a trans woman um and i recommend listeners google chuffed cj palmer to send her money or to write her letters um could you comment on that case and yeah like how like we are quite far away from ending like criminalization of hiv transmission
0: yeah absolutely um thank you for 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 saying cj's name um uh i was at cj's Sentencing earlier this year in Perth and it was um, it was so extraordinarily sad and so unnecessarily sad uh, to see her uh, in this situation um, uh, and that's that's for several reasons um, it's really great that uh, that on your program you're, you're talking to your listeners about HIV criminalization because it's uh, it's an incredibly important and um, misunderstood uh Crisis in the global HIV response. Um, you know, many of the laws uh, that are used to uh, charge and 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 in CJS case imprison people living with HIV are uh, based on um, you know the, the the terror and and uh, fear of HIV that was existing during the AIDS crisis that resulted in laws or um, or uses of. of Pre-existing laws, like for example, you know, a person could be charged with grievous bodily harm if they um, uh, inadvertently pass HIV on to to a partner, for example. Um, And uh, sad for many reasons, and I'll get to CJ's the specifics of CJ's case in a second. But um, uh, in the context of HIV criminalisation in general, um, uh, we have an alternative to the criminal court system where police have to get involved. Uh, through the public health process. So, you know, there, there's the Public Health Act, and there's the Criminal Act, um, uh, the Criminal Code, et cetera. And through the public health process, um, uh, if someone um, uh, acquires HIV and they believe that their partner, the partner who they believe um, uh, may have infected them, uh, did so maliciously or recklessly or, or something along those lines, something that indicated that they were behaving in an uh, uh, intentionally irresponsible or reckless manner, um, they can uh, um, make that claim through the public health system. There is a very learned panel uh, of public health experts, and HIV experts, including people living with HIV, who sit on that panel and they hear every case. Um, And there is a um, a multi-step process uh, that includes restorative justice aspects uh, to ensure that uh, both parties are heard um, and that, um, you know, there can be a variety of outcomes and solutions, um, all of which generally, I have to say, in my opinion, are much better than um, people going to the police, um, charges being laid and people unnecessarily becoming incarcerated. Uh, for something that is often um, more about stigma and ignorance than it is about willful um, uh, harm you know people intentionally going out to harm others so uh, it's it's a really complex issue and and I appreciate that when we talk about HIV criminalization at first for those who aren 't attached to it or or invested in it, people think oh that's good you should you should probably be able to go to jail if you go out there and intentionally you know give someone hiv mm. but um the the notion there of intent um, Uh, is a really important one, Um, Mm. and for the most part, uh, you know, it's people who are already falling through um, uh, the cracks and the gaps in our healthcare system who are finding themselves um, then being um, uh, charged with or accused of um, recklessly um, uh, infecting others with HIV um, and CJ, I think, is absolutely someone who fits into that mould of, of someone who absolutely fell through the cracks of the healthcare system. Um, and now, what we have uh, in um, her case in WA is a uh, truly uh, horrific situation where a trans woman of colour um, will be held for, you know, about four to six years. In a men's facility in the WA prison system, which is certainly um, not, uh, dare I say, uh, the best prison system we have in Australia, you know, and and that's saying something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, No. Wow.
2: Okay. So um, on a good note, I you know very well that I follow you on social media, which is really interesting because I consider you to be very knowledgeable and um, HIV is a topic that is very, you know, passionate to me. And um, so I learned on your um, Facebook uh, post, you noted that uh, gay and bisexual men in Australia have hit the 90% global target for getting onto treatment and being undetectable, uh, which is good news. Um, but I'll, I would like for you to explain to us um, what it is, U equals U, which means um, undetectable equals untransmittable?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Do you mind? Yeah, just, sure. yeah?
0: I mean, uh, of course, i um, I think that it's, it's firstly, you know, it is such great news mm. uh, that here in Australia um, we've hit a really important target that um, uh, Australian-born, uh, gay and bisexual men, mm. have hit the 90-90 um, the target, uh, nice. which is uh, 90% of um, people living with HIV diagnosed and of those 90% are on treatment and of those 90% have an undetectable viral load. Wow. And That's what we talk about when we say U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable. So um, uh, I'm I'm a person living with HIV. Uh, Every day I take my one HIV pill um, and that helps uh, the level of the virus in my body. Um, uh, It reduces the level of the virus, uh, HIV virus in my body to an undetectable level, which means that um, uh, it falls... uh, below 200 milliliters of copies per blood. Anyway, that gets a bit scientific and complicated. But essentially what it means is that the virus in my body uh, stops replicating, which means that um, uh, by stopping that, it stops the uh, progression on to me developing aids defining illnesses in the future, which keeps mm-hmm. me healthy. Um, it gives me uh, pretty much exactly the same lifespan as someone you know, of my age and background, um, and it also means that there is zero risk that I am going to pass HIV on to my partners. Mm. Now, for people living with HIV, the idea that your uh, HIV, uh, your undetectable HIV in this instance, is untransmittable, which means you cannot transmit your HIV on to other people, mm. is possibly the you know is the most freeing. Uh, idea, the most liberating concept uh, since we learnt that um, mm. our, our medications also will keep us alive. Mm. You know, it is yeah. so extraordinary um, and we carry with us uh, a constant fear I would say for now over many decades Definitely. of being infectious agents. Um, and so U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable, is a global campaign that is trying to get that information uh, to as many people yeah. living with HIV as possible and to as many of uh, people at risk of HIV as possible so that they know that they don't need to be, um, you know, un, uh, ignorantly mm. scared of us. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So it's wow. huge. It's really, really huge.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, uh, yeah, it's massive.
1: Awesome. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also wanted to ask you a question about some of the stuff you've written on. Um, you've wrote on the flawed politics of campaigns against queer phobic restrictions on blood donors, that particularly affect many gay and bi men, also some trans women, some sex workers and many others. And you've written that the most inclusive, and to quote you, the most inclusive ethical way to allow gay or bi men to donate blood is to end HIV. So I wanna ask, why is it important to focus on the overall ending of HIV rather than the piecemeal changes to blood donor requirements?
0: That's such a great question. Um, well, if someone is super passionate about um, ending the blood ban uh, on gay and bisexual men, and as you, as you point out, trans women are, are lumped into that um, uh, category without specifically being named, which I think is um, uh, um, uh, unfair and, and um, um, invisibilizes them slightly. Well, not slightly, it totally does. Um, uh, I, I think it's, it's exciting to see people passionate about ending multiple forms of discrimination. Um, and I think that they're seeing, firstly, the conversation around the gay blood ban uh, or deferral, as it really is, changing uh, as a result of um, more awareness of U equals U and PrEP and people being less f- afraid of HIV. And, of course, they're seeing these messages that we're telling the world, um, you know, that here in Australia... What you know, while heterosexual HIV rates are going up, and uh, uh, Indigenous uh, HIV rates, especially in rural and remote communities, are going up, and overseas-born gay bisexual men HIV rates are going up. All of these things are, are really critical issues, and um, I, I hope we get to chat about them while I'm still on air. But um, uh, it makes sense that when we're kind of talking about all the successes of ending HIV in Australia, especially when it comes to gay bisexual men, um, that uh. Uh, old discriminatory practices like the gay uh, blood ban uh, mm. should be rolled back or removed. I, I, so I understand where the um, where the campaign idea is coming from. Um, but for me, my concern is that it, it creates uh, a sort of... Um, ..a zero divide between, uh, you know, uh, gay men who are HIV negative, who want to be able to donate blood, um, who will be assessed on not their sexuality but their risk behaviour, which, you know, means that, you know, currently um, uh, gay men who want to donate blood have to uh, abstain from sex for 12 months if they want to donate blood. Um, Now, that kind of deferral is, you know, certainly possible with some people, but it's certainly not anything uh, that is realistic for the majority Mm. of of people. Um, uh, And I do support uh, shifting the deferral rate Uh, to um, uh, far less. I think uh, the current call is for it to be changed to two months because um, the uh, ability to test and screen for HIV has, of course, improved dramatically. Um, So I really do support that idea of a deferral, uh, for a two-month deferral. I think that makes a lot more sense um, and is reflective of of where we're at with HIV testing and HIV science. Um, But I really do believe, and I would love to see um, the energy and passion that some people put into uh, ending the gay blood ban, Uh, if we could apply that to ending HIV in Australia, uh, if we could put that campaigning energy and community mobilisation energy uh, away from uh, a discriminatory practice that impacts only certain HIV negative men who uh, have certain, uh, one would say, less risky or or less, um, uh, shall we say, promiscuous sexual practices into ending the HIV movement, that doesn't just benefit gay and bisexual men living with HIV and HIV negative men who want to um, donate blood. If we end HIV in Australia, it means that, you know, my my friend Cass, who is a woman who lives in rural Victoria um, and lives with HIV and uh, lives with stigma and fights that stigma battle on her own, it means we end HIV for her. Mm. It means that, you know, uh, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living in rural and remote Australia who uh, are falling through an extraordinary health gap in Aboriginal health care in this country, we end HIV for them. It means that we end HIV for the international students who are coming wow. to Melbourne yeah. and being exposed to HIV. You know, mm. the, 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 the benefit is enormous. So, And once that happens, once we end HIV, then we have absolutely no need for the gay blood ban to exist. Mm. And it, it will go... And it's the, it, that is an extraordinary roll-on effect of ending HIV. So, yeah. you know, you can't tell people what to care about. I recognise that. But um, uh, I do feel an obligation to, to say this every time the yeah. notion of the gay blood ban comes up.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a, um, a better, bigger picture approach that doesn't leave a lot of people behind. Um, mm. Yeah, also on these issues of resources, where resources are going, Um, and you've touched on this a bit with spikes in HIV rates in many rural and more remote Indigenous communities and the rising rates in heterosexual people. Um, Do you think there is a lot of neglect in the health sector outside of services and messages directed at white gay men?
0: Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorise it necessarily as neglect. Um, neglect suggests that, um, you know, people see the problem and they choose not to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, I think that here in Australia, uh, the early successes of our, um, uh, people who use drugs, people who inject drugs, and uh, sex worker mobilisation during the early AIDS crisis to um, revolutionise the way sex workers are empowered to demand safe sex and uh, use condoms, um, uh, as well as needle exchange programmes for people who choose to inject drugs, uh, meant that the uh, vast majority of HIV cases during the AIDS crisis were gained by sexual men. It it really did dominate um, a significant part of our early HIV response during the AIDS crisis. So that means that we have decades of um, uh, programs and campaigns and messaging and services that are targeted, that have been targeted towards gay and bisexual men over the years, um, and that has created a kind of a culture, of a prevention culture, and HIV culture in Australia that is focused on gay and bisexual men. Now we're seeing dramatic drops in HIV rates uh, in that same population, thanks to PrEP and thanks yeah. to you equals you. Nice. And it's revealing uh, that we don't have the language uh, to be able to reach um, what's uh, called hidden populations. And, and I, I don't really like that term uh, because uh, these communities have always been there. We've always had heterosexual people living with HIV in this country. Mm. We've always had Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living with this country. We've always had uh, migrant communities as migrants, as international students, etc., um, uh, bringing uh, not bringing HIV, but certainly having much more complex issues around the way the HIV is diagnosed and mm. the way they access treatment and support. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, uh, instead of so much as naming it as neglect, I would say that it's an opportunity for, um, or well, people like me who have. Had a really extraordinary opportunity as a spokesperson, uh, as, an, as a person living with HIV, in these last few years, to um, make space for others and get out of the way. And I think that that needs to happen across the entire HIV yeah. response in Australia. Um, oh, we, we need to see we need to see people of colour in leadership roles. We need to see people from refugee and migrant backgrounds in leadership roles. Aboriginal people and more women in leadership roles in the sector. And that's that's people who are our spokespeople, who are chairs of boards and who run the organisation.
2: Yeah, mm. well said. So, yeah,
1: honestly speaking, we need we've people like me. We've only got Nick. like a minute to go. <laughs> oh, no! Unfortunately. <laughs> have I
2: talked too much? <laughs> no, it's been just perfect, just on time. And we are so happy to have heard from you. And seriously, we're going to hear from you very soon. Oh, good. Thank yeah.
0: you, Tracy Nara. Thank you so much for having me on, and uh, and for giving so much time of your program uh, for to to be able to talk to your listeners mm. about what it is to live with HIV in the twenty first century. It's, yeah. it's it's a very welcome opportunity. So, thanks for having
2: me on. Thank you. Talk to you soon.
1: Yeah. Thank Bye. you so much, Nick. Bye. Bye.
2: You've been listening to a three CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station three
3: CR in Melbourne, Australia.